0: Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24 7. Today, we're going to be talking about mental fitness and unexpected entrepreneurship with Ryan Mundy, the founder and CEO of Alchemy. Fascinating guy. Ryan is an ex-NFL player and Super Bowl champ an experienced entrepreneur who founded Alchemy after retiring as a professional athlete and then embarking on a journey to find his next passion. After retiring, Ryan experienced depression and anxiety as he searched to find his identity after football and dove into a health and wellness journey of his own. Along the way, he realized how beneficial professional health was to him during this time and still is on a daily basis, spurring the start of Alchemy, which is a health and wellness platform focused on eliminating disparities within the healthcare system for black individuals and democratizing access to health and wellness tools needed to empower, heal, inspire, and thrive. So that's the story we're gonna get into today. And we're gonna be talking about a couple of things that I think you'll find very valuable. Number one, how to transition your career. That's a big one. We talked about it on Monday, on Full Monday. If you haven't heard that, go check it out. How to find your big idea, how to prepare yourself to build a startup. And then Ryan's gonna talk about how, you know, what he learned as a professional athlete serves him as an entrepreneur. So we're gonna get in all of that today. He's a great guest and a very charismatic person and just a total winner. Like, love this guy. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one thing today, my little ask, my small ask, share this episode with somebody who you think would enjoy it and then exhort them to start listening to FOMO Sapiens, please. We are all about getting into more ears this year. I have all the stuff going on I'm trying to put out there into the world, so please help. Thank you so much. All right, and now on to the episode. As you know, I like to start every episode with the same question, and Ryan was no exception. So the question is this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today?
1: To get back out there and play football at the age of eight years old. Uh, Mm -hmm. The backstory there is I started playing when I was seven and uh, we were terrible as a team. Um, And I was the biggest kid, the strongest kid, the fastest kid on the team. But I played offensive guard and we went completely winless. It was a terrible experience. And so after the season, I told my dad, I quit. I do not want to play football ever again in my life. And he obliged, uh, you know, thinking that I would turn change my mind because he knew I had, like, an interest and an appetite to play the game. Uh, but that experience, you know, just didn't sit well with me. Like, I, I knew I was big, strong, fast. I wanted to score touchdowns, not block and be on a winless team, you know, with bad morale, et cetera. So the following season came around. Uh, the first few games of the season uh, came across, and I did not change my mind. However, my dad made me get back out there after like two or three games. And, and I say made, but it was like, you know, we came to like a meeting of the minds. I was like, Dad, like I kind of want to play, but I want to play under different conditions. And so like that decision or that meeting of the minds ultimately shaped the trajectory of my life. Uh, football has been a massive part of my life. And it has literally taken me to places and spaces that I could have never imagined. School, house, home. I built a life around football. And so I always look back to that time uh, almost 30 years ago now where, you know, we had to make the decision of like, Ryan, get back out there and try football again.
0: That's a great story. You know, it's, it reminds me, I was on, uh, sort of little league baseball and my team was win. we never won a game. In fact, and it was, we were so bad that our coach left to coach another team. It was my brother's was team. Of season. Yeah, that's really, that was nasty. <laughs> Lenny, Kenny, shame on
1: you man that his name. yeah that's not cool in the middle of the season he left
0: yeah he did i mean i like it blows my mind now i look back on it and then i got hit in the face with a baseball and so all i wanted to do was quit baseball and i did had i had the stick with itness that you have who knows like i could have been a real contender
1: <laughs> yeah you never know you never know um that was the first life lesson of like look you know failure is not final uh learn how to work through uh, uncomfortable situations um, and you know, there may be something positive on the other side for you. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to accept that I'll never, ever, ever get a,
0: a world series title, but <laughs> I want to talk about you today. So I want to start your story, not in the beginning per se, but in the middle. And I want to start the day after you ended your career in the NFL. So you, you know, you, you leave the NFL, you go to bed, you wake up the next morning What's going on in your head? Like, what, what do you think is the future for you?
1: I had no idea. And honestly, I when you said the middle, that was probably the beginning, right? Of like life, where I played football for 24 years in total, eight as a professional. And, uh, you know, I built a life, as I mentioned before, around the game of football. The reality about football or any, any sport is that you stop playing one day and you are no longer a professional athlete. And when you do that, you're a relatively young man or young woman and you need to figure out what you're going to do with the balance of your life. And so leading up into that day that you speak of uh, where I was no longer that athlete, I was preparing for that day, like education, got my MBA, did some uh, networking type of stuff, but actually preparing and uh, executing or living out that, that, that preparation is a totally different ball game. And so I was dealing with uh, anxiety, depression, identity issues, uh, quite literally trying to figure out who and what I was when I was no longer tackling anybody. Uh, And it was a very hard journey. And that was something that I was going through on the inside. But externally, I knew that the NFL was a huge platform that I could leverage to get me anywhere that I want to go. So I was aggressive in my my networking efforts because I had an MBA in hand. Uh, I knew I had a desire to get into business, but I just didn't know what to do, how to do it, where to go, et cetera. But I just knew I could get in front of people. And so I started drumming it up, cold emails, cold LinkedIn messages, showing up at networking events, going to conferences all across the country um, and showing up with the attitude of learning, connecting and growing. And that was on the exterior, but on the interior, I was still like struggling on the inside. So it was like the tail of two, uh, two different paths, the the external professional path and internal path. Um, And and it was a lot for me to kind of manage and it was a lot on my family. Uh, But ultimately, uh, that that. Uh, period of time really got me to this point where I am right now as founder and CEO of Alchemy.
0: Yeah, it kind of. It's interesting because we, you know, we think about professional athletes, and we all know. I mean, it's not like it's a surprise that your career ends at a certain point. And you're really young. I mean, yeah. unless you're a golfer, then you can go forever. But it kind of like it reminds me of military. Like you know, you're in the Navy SEALs or something. At some point, you decide to leave and become a civilian, and you come from this place where you are a rock star and then suddenly you've got to become a civilian again. And there's lots of opportunity, but it's like, well, how do I fit into that? Yeah. Did you, will you, you know, does the NFL prepare their athletes for this life after, or you sort of like kind of have to figure it out yourself?
1: Yeah, it's, um, prepare. I don't know if it is the right word. I mean, there's services available, but you know, you have to innately lean into those services. Mm-hmm. Uh, proactively seek them. You know, they're not force feeding, you know, an MBA or executive education or tuition reimbursement, all these things that are available. They're not forcing them down your throat. Right. And so there is an element of like innately leaning into it. But then there's also this element of like, hey, do a better job of like creating community around these things and highlighting the importance of such. And and again, like my mindset was, I did well for myself in the NFL, but I knew that like, look, financially, I was probably going to have to figure something out at some point in time. So like, why not do that uh, right out the gate? And then also too, like, that's what I wanted to do. And that's why I say innately, like I had a desire to like find myself. And I knew that I was, you know, I knew I was more than a football player. I just didn't know how to do that. And so um, there is, there is a balance though. And I think generally, especially now, like with a lot of athletes talking about like mental health, mental wellness, Etc. We're starting to peel back the curtains and understand that athletes are people too. Uh, And we go through like a lot of the same things that uh, I guess, quote, everyday folks go through as it relates to stress, anxiety, depression, all these other things. Right. And so uh, it's really important. There's obviously a lot of room for improvement there, but by and large, uh, there are services available, but uh, athletes, you know, have to have that proactiveness to kind of lean into it. So it's a balance. FOMO.
0: only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Yeah, and you started this company Alchemy Health, we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, I do want to just trace your path. So you're you're traveling the country, you're turning over the stones, you're talking to people, you're doing like the network job search kind of thing which is really smart, right? And you had your MBA, so you, you're you ready to go and you know how to win, which is like, that's just something that really helps. You come to entrepreneurship. Did you always know you were going to do the entrepreneurship thing? Or you like, oh, maybe I'll go become like a asset manager. Like, how did you come to entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, I, I had no idea that I would be an entrepreneur Uh, I had no idea what venture capital or entrepreneurship or startups were until I was 31 years old. So, like, I'm relatively new to this whole world and ecosystem. And, you know, going back to that time that we talked about a little bit earlier, like, I was looking for, like, representation or models and saying, like, look, who came from the world that I came from or who had the experience, previous experience that I had? What are they doing now? And, like, how did you do it? And so mm-hmm. like you speak about like uh, financial services, a lot of athletes transition into like financial advising. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, a lot of guys or uh, athletes trans- transition into sports commentary. I had no desire to do that. I want, uh, Quite frankly, I wanted to get the hell away from football, right? I was, <laughs> I was physically hurt and like my time as an athlete, you know, it wasn't like, the press conference, like Jersey hanging on, retiring sob story. It was not that. And it's not not like that for most athletes. More than likely, it's like your services are no longer needed here. Goodbye. And so I was dealing with that. Uh, But ultimately, I was just trying to, again, figure out like who came from the world that I came from and what are they doing now? So I tried uh, real estate. I tried. I thought I could be like an investment banker. Uh, But innately, like those career paths just weren't sitting right with my soul for one reason or another. Like I had interviews, connections, uh, all the, uh, the whole nine, but I just couldn't, um, it, it wasn't connecting with me. And so I just kept going and I was like, look, there's something inside me, that entrepreneurial spirit, if you will. Um, and I had to work really hard to bring it out and it took some time to bring it out, but, uh, and I made some mistakes along the way for sure. But it got me to the point of where I am now. Uh, and I'm very, very thankful for that, but I had no idea that this is the path that I would be embarking on. Um, you know, six short years ago, had no idea. And that's how life works. I just knew that I had skills. I knew I had intelligence. I knew I had a network and I just was open to whatever the universe had in store for me, uh, with a high degree of confidence that I would figure it out.
0: During that period, when you were like looking, you know, one thing that a lot of people find hard, especially people who've had great success, is when you're in that in-between place and people are like, hey, Ryan, like, what are you up to these days? And you're like, well, you know, I, I, that yeah. that sucks, by the way. So how did you deal with that? Because that just, it, it's really hard to not feel, even though you've had success, you're financially independent, just to feel like kind of a loser. Like, how did you deal with that whole thing?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I dealt with it by being honest and open. Mm. I don't walk around trying to act like I'm something I'm not, or I or I don't try to act around. Or I, I don't walk around and act like things are fine when they may not be fine. Like I'm a mm. very easy person to kind of connect with on a deeper level. And so like that kind of keeps me pure and keeps me from feeling like uh, I'm showing up as something that I'm not. And that internal disconnect can be very, very hard to deal with. Right. And so I was just always very open and vulnerable. And as I, as I mentioned before, like, you know, whatever was in store for me was going to be in store for me. I just knew that to your point, like I knew how to, how to win. And also I knew how to work, which is really, really important, right? Like, I think those are understated. A lot of times Is like, look, what is your disposition to going out and doing very, very hard things? That's been my entire life, right? Like from football, you know, subjecting myself to physical and mental, like, not anguish but like you know like tough times right like 100 yeah, percent literally and literally like running into 300 pounders failing on national TV like all these things and experiences um, shape you on the inside and so like during that transition time, the job for me was to figure out like how do I package up everything that I've learned from an intrinsic uh, the skill the intrinsic skill set how do I package that up the endurance, the grit, the determination, the discipline, the focus, et cetera that's who I am at my core. I no longer can exercise those by tackling somebody, but I needed to find the right outlet to continue on being that person. And that's that's the opportunity for all athletes. Right. Like um, is that like how where where can you now uh, exercise the innate in uh, internal uh, characteristics that you develop as an athlete? Because that that day ultimately ends. But you don't stop. Being, you don't have to stop being that person. You just need to find the right outlet to, to continue on to exercise those traits. And that was a challenge for me. And, and, and honestly, that's how I became an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship was the right lane for me to exercise what I was already doing.
0: I love that. You just nailed it. I mean, what you said about, I think so many times when we hit those periods in our life where we're in between, the big problem is like, you have a story that you tell yourself and the world. Like, I'm Patrick, I do this. You know, I'm Ryan, I'm in the NFL. I, yep. And then- you're, you don't have the story and you when you learn how to repackage and tell the story again is when you can move forward. And you move forward by starting Alchemy Health, which is a digital healthcare company with a mission to become the universal healthcare provider for the black community. So this is, it's, a, it's, a, it's really exciting to hear what you're doing. Talk about what is the problem you're trying to solve and how you are solving it.
1: Yeah, so when we look at healthcare and the health and wellness, of the Black community, we're at an outsized risk for every chronic disease and illness in the book. Uh, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, uh, cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, you name it. Uh, our community is significantly at an outsized risk uh, for every chronic disease and illness in the book. During that time that we're talking about, that transition time, my family was going through every last one of those diseases. My grandfather passed away from Alzheimer's on my birthday in 2017. My uncle had a Type 2 He was dealing with type 2 diabetes and ultimately had his foot amputated. My father-in-law passed away from a heart attack at a a young age. My grandmother had a stroke and missed my wedding. Like all these things were happening. And so I had like a front row seat to the health disparities that were impacting the black community as a whole. And then I was also going through my own personal challenges uh, on the mental health side of things. And uh, the the backstory with me was like, you know, I had financial security and I still couldn't help myself. Right. And so like there, there was a there was a thread around like, look, you know, what are the barriers of blockers and why is the, the black community one of the most, if not the most influential community globally, but also one of the most sickest communities globally? Like there's a huge imbalance there. And then again, being in a startup space and, and kind of seeing deals done, the flow of capital, how ideas come to life. I didn't see anybody solving that problem. Uh, and I was like, this is a huge, 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 huge problem that has just kind of flown under the radar for whatever reason, right? There's a whole nother conversation that can probably be had around that. But again, when we look at like the, uh, since we are, our community has been on, uh, in this country, you know, 400 plus years, we've been abused, mistreated, you know, the whole nine uh, by the healthcare, healthcare system. And that's what contributes to all those health disparities. So that's why we focus on like, look, our aspirationally, our goal and our mission is, is to become that one stop shop, that end all be all platform, for all things black health and wellness, and so uh, it's a great mission. It's a huge mission. It's uh, as I like to say, it's a the opportunity of a lifetime to do good and also do well, right? A lot of times, uh, people may think that oh, you're doing health and wellness for the black community. That's cute. Is that a five hundred one uh, five hundred one c three? No, this is a real business, right? We are venture backed, uh, and we are scaling rapidly, right? And. And I think, again, it just uh, it goes to show like there's people who don't always understand the opportunity that's literally right in front of them. But what it takes is people who know the experience to be true as opposed to believing it to be true, right? Like I know the experience to be true personally. And also, again, I had a front row seat to it. So I come to the table with a lens and a paradigm and experience to uniquely solve this problem and create a great opportunity out of it.
0: So talk about when somebody comes to alchemy, What is the service that you provide to them like how does this differ from the traditional system which is failing the community today
1: yeah we we lead with brand right so i talked about like 400 plus years of trauma uh hardship bad relationships we had to take a huge step back and say like look now's not the time to stick a piece of technology in front of our community's face and say use it right we lead with brand we lead with building relationship and, and building trust. Um, why? Because again, we've we got a lot of traumas to like heal from and, and and repair the relationship. So we lead with brand and how that shows up in a product format. It shows up with content, right? We create mental health video courses, meditations, and also host live group experiences on a platform to mitigate like access barriers. There's a lot of barriers in healthcare right now, right? Particularly as it relates to mental health. And so like the, the way that they show up there's obviously a lot of stigma around these conversations and also getting help and support. With content, you can view it and consume it anytime, anywhere in the privacy of your home. And additionally, like there's a gap uh, of like or not enough uh, culturally competent therapists in the marketplace. And so naturally, um, people can't get the help that they're looking for, even if they found somebody, even if they knew what they were looking for. In a lot of circumstances, they don't. So there's an education gap as well. And so, like, again, if you find somebody that you're looking for, then you run into, like, the cost prohibitiveness of getting help and support. One in-person therapy session could cost you 150 bucks because a lot of therapists now are moving away from insurance. They're only cash pay. And so, you know, there's a lot of access barriers that ultimately prevent people from getting the help that they need as, as uh, Americans in this country, but it's particularly compounded for the Black community. And so with all that context around, like, this is getting in the way that's getting in the way, et cetera. We just say like, here, here's a piece of content to get you started. It's a palatable arm ramp to self-discovery, self-care, self-exploration to give you a solid foundation so that when you go out into the world, like you can be stronger you can be more confident, but then ultimately know what you're looking for. And so we started with content, but we're not stopping with content. We're going to bring on different products and services as we continue to grow our business. FOMO. FOMO.
0: So you mentioned that the healthcare industry has failed the black community, and w- and the outcomes are clear. You just look at, for example, the COVID nineteen yeah. impact on communities of color. Like it's just all there. Like you know, there's nothing controversial about that. And if somebody, if you if you don't know about that, like it, there's it's been well discussed. So for everybody who's listening, you know, it, it, go check it out and read up on it because it's super important. And for you know, I live in New York City. You live in Chicago. Like we see the impact on our communities. Now, the other industry that has failed black community is venture capital. If yeah. you think about the, just the, 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 the amount of money that flows into black founded companies, it is very small. It is probably, you know, it's less than 1%. And after um, the Black Lives Matter and sort of the, the racial justice uh, movement in the US uh, in 2020, there were a lot of pledges made by VC funds to be way more present. And I, I have no idea if that's happened or not, because I've I not seen figures. You know, you hear anecdotally about that. But, you know, you're coming out here, you're raising money as a black founder for a company that is serving the black community. And I have to imagine that you're walking into rooms where people just like, you know, we heard this from the founder of, of Maven, Kate Ryder. She said, I go into a meeting doing telehealth for women's healthcare, And people would say, like, is that a big market? And she's like, well, it's 50% of all people. And so, with with the black community, it's more than 10% of the population of the United States. And, you know, it's it's a big market. Like, if you hit that pretty hard, like you can build a huge company. How was the process of raising capital for you? What did you learn? What were the challenges? And how did you succeed?
1: Yeah. So, I look back at my journey and I think my experience really, really helped me navigate that. Uh, So, again, reflect back when I retired from the NFL, I got into the the venture ecosystem as an angel investor. Okay. And so like when I was going around to these conferences and network networking events, I was sitting on the same side of the table as investors, right? And I was showing up as an investor, right? And then you pair that with like my background and experience in the NFL. Like I want to say, I've done a lot of things that can get me a lot of places. So I was leveraging that to like get in front of folks, build relationships, etc. And I provide that context because not you know, the the typical black and brown founder does not have that, right? So my experience is a little bit different. Um, but ultimately, that helped me navigate the ecosystem because I knew how investors thought, I knew what they were looking for, I knew the lingo, pitch text, the whole nine, right? And even with all that, still didn't make it any easier, I would say, uh, but I just kind of had a, a different approach and paradigm. Now, as it comes to like, you know, solving black and brown founders building businesses for black and brown communities, like, I, I fit that profile, but I don't want it. I don't want it to think or it should not be like commonplace where black and brown founders are only solving problems for black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a very strong and important narrative that needs to be told there. Right. So whether you're solving uh, a problem for black and brown communities or not, Like as a black founder, you still have value and you still have uh, and you still should have an opportunity to bring your uh, your idea to life um, and go out and make a difference into the world. But I think a lot of it, too, particularly skewing towards like if you're a black and brown founder and you're trying to solve a black and brown problem, you do get that question. Is the market big enough? Is the opportunity big enough? I uncategorically say, yeah, it is. Right. Like, but again, the investment community doesn't know it to be true, right? They don't have the unique nuance, understanding the paradigms. They ain't sat in the seat. They ain't been in the communities. They ain't been in the neighborhoods, right? So they don't know how real the problem is. Uh, But I do, right? And Black and brown founders do. And so to your point that we talked about earlier, like how do we communicate that narrative, right? And in in 2020, like that narrative was highlighted uh, and it was put on everybody's radar, but... Like, how sustainable is that? Like, when what is the momentum coming out of that? And did these companies and investors live up to their promises that they made during that time, right? Because they believed it to be true. They saw it to be true. But there's a difference when you believe and see things. You're still like, oh, that's not my fight. Or like, oh, OK, like somebody else would do it. You know what I mean? Uh, so we're still fighting a good fight. I've been blessed and fortunate to, to receive two rounds of venture financing uh, and currently raising another round of venture financing. Uh, doesn't make it any easier, um, but, you know, again, still fighting a good fight and and making sure that I'm showing up in the right spaces and places uh, because I realize my unique positioning with my experience and I can get into rooms, I have access, but I want to keep that door open, right? For the next generation of black and brown founders. Uh, and so very cognizant and aware of that.
0: Yeah. Venture capitalists, you know, talk is cheap, you know, like- the the way that it starts, yeah, it's great to say you're going to do this stuff, but the real way to create equity is to make sure that the teams at the VCs represent America. And mm-hmm. so many times you go on that website and it's just Chip and Dan from Dartmouth wearing their fleeces. And, I, and I'm not, I, I look like a Chip and Dan, so I'm picking on myself right now. But just like in order to understand opportunities, you need to have people on your team who think differently than you and can just see something rolling in the door because otherwise you're going to miss out on the big ones.
1: Yeah, you got to know it to be true. And then I would also say, like, just the uh <clears throat> the way that venture capital is set up, even with like my opportunity uh around like network access and reach, it's a black box to figure out how to break into venture capital. There's no playbook, like people don't know what venture I again, I just learned what venture capital was when I was 31 years old. And I kind of just mm-hmm. like stumbled into it. But there's there's it's it's like a black box to figure out how to get in. And then once you get in, Like, look, like, let's paint this picture. There's a fund that manages, let's call it a billion dollars, maybe 15 people work there, 20 people work there max, right? And these are, and the fund life is 10 years, right? So there's not a lot of like turnover or Mm -hmm. like hiring that happens with any circles. And if the hiring does happen, there's a lot of nepotism, you know, they're they're not posting these jobs on Indeed or anything like that. So again, there's no like, there's no transparency in the space and how to break into the space um and that and that is severely hindering the progress on the investor side of the table and to your point that's uh handicapping the opportunity set for folks uh, on a on the uh, entrepreneurial entrepreneur side of the table as well
0: totally totally now w- one last question for you so you know you do transition from the world of sports which has you built tremendous qualities that you can bring into the world of entrepreneurship but I have to imagine there were some things that just like kind of came out of nowhere, challenges that you didn't expect. What has been the biggest thing you've learned being a founder?
1: Wow, so many. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I just, I, I generally build it all back up to say, like, I never had a corporate job. Like, I never, you know, really built an org chart or reporting structure, like the little things, right, around, like, how companies grow, develop, and scale. Like, I didn't, I don't have or I didn't have the experience in doing. So a lot of that, around like um, managing people, best processes, HR, like all that stuff is new and foreign to me. So on that side of the table around like managing, operating and running a business, um, I'm always learning. Uh, But the biggest, I guess, challenge, I I would just say like thinking about how to navigate and, and build a team in that context. Because there's a lot of similarities, but there's also, again, a lot of stark differences that from the world that I come from, team in that world and team in this world, you would think that there's like a one-to-one comp- uh, translation there, but there is not in the gaps or the nuances and the differences. And some of the things that I spoke of uh, just a few seconds ago uh, create those differences. And so like navigating those nuances has always been a new learning experience for me.
0: Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. <laughs> the company is Alchemy Health. You can find out more about Alchemy at their website or on all socials at Alchemy Health. The note, it's spelled A-L-K-E-M-E. Ryan Mundy, thanks so much for being here.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Patrick.
0: FOMO.